you know, I think at the surface, Opportunity is a music education program, but it's really more than that because we focus so much on the building of relationships and through the building of relationships with our constituents, the children that we work with, the inmates, the the superintendent, the leadership, the teachers, the college students, um, and sort of building of those relationships, we we craft a reciprocal learning experience. I mean, that's the main goal is that our college students are engaging with, with the children in the program or the inmates, but in that exchange, they're learning just as much from those children as those children are learning from them. I'm Ben Capolo, and welcome to All Keyed Up. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I spoke with Melissa Martiros. Melissa Martiros currently serves as Dean of Music at Anna Maria College. She's the founding director of Opportunity Music Connections, a nationally recognized, award-winning engagement initiative for underserved youth and children with special needs. Prior to her appointment at Anna Maria College, she served as program coordinator of music at Martin Methodist College. An active clinician, her recent engagements have included workshops at the International Society of Music Education World Conference, the National Conference on Keyboard Pedagogy, the Canadian Federation of Music Educators Biennial Convention, the College Music Society National Conference, the Music Teachers National Association National Conference, the Australasian Pedagogy Conference, and the Gulf South Summit on Service Learning and Civic Engagement Through Higher Education. She's a co-author of Inclusive Piano Teaching, a blog sponsored by the Francis Clark Center for Keyboard Pedagogy, and is co-chair of the Committee on Special Needs for the National Conference on Keyboard Pedagogy. She's published in the Piano Pedagogy Forum, American Music Teacher, and the widely read MTNA e-journal. Hope you enjoy. Melissa, thanks so much for joining today. Thanks for having me. Today, we're going to talk about community outreach, both your specific organization and about the topic in general. So I have to start by asking a question that I'm sure you've been asked a ton of times, but just so our listeners can know, can you give us kind of the basic rundown elevator pitch for what Opportunity is? Yeah. um, Opportunity has evolved over the last, I guess, eight years. We use higher education resources, programs, and students to bring engagement opportunities to children from underserved backgrounds and also the inmate population. Um, That's broad. More specifically, we aim to dismantle the uh, school-to-prison pipeline Mm -hmm. through community engagement programs that are focused on music um, that leverage higher education resources um, through the engagement. Yeah, so I definitely want to talk about this school-to-prison pipeline idea that you mentioned. So uh, your organization works both with K-12 through Worcester public schools, but also with prisons. And so some of our listeners might see these as kind of two discrete projects. But this school-to-prison pipeline idea that you're describing does show that the two can be, in many cases, related. So can you elaborate on what you mean by school-to-prison pipeline and talk about how you've seen that play out in your work with Opportunity? Yeah, Um, Sure. So I guess basic definition of school to prison pipeline is um, the idea that children from schools get funneled into the prison pipeline um, from school to prison through either harsh sort of punishments or other kinds of, um, yeah, I guess punishments. So overuse of uh, expulsion and um, 
a lot of times the students who are um, African-American or have disabilities are the ones who get funneled uh, disproportionately um, into that system. Um, I didn't quite say that eloquently, but that's the basic gist, um, is that students who are in schools um, over-policing, over-reliance on extreme punishments um, fall off kind of the grid um, in terms of school and they end up going down paths that lead them into jail um, more rapidly than perhaps other populations. Um, Opportunity initially was conceptualized as an organization that focused predominantly on K-12 schools. Um, our partnership with Worcester Public Schools is predominantly with Lincoln Street School, and then we do a partnership with Burncoat Middle School and then Burncoat High School because the kids at Lincoln Street funnel through into those programs. Um, Lincoln Street is one of the lower performing schools in the city, and it's housed right outside of the housing projects of Worcester Greatbrook Valley. Greatbrook Valley also happens to be less than a mile down the road from the Worcester County House of Corrections. So if you want to talk about sort of a geographical representation mm -hmm. of the school to prison pipeline, they are literally in the same mm -hmm. neighborhood and you can see yeah, a lot of symbolism there. Yeah, huge <laughs> symbolism. And if I ever write an article about the program, which I hope to do at some point, um, that's going to be like <laughs> sort of the main focus is that sort of direct connection from the valley and the jail. Right. Um, after about a year of the program being in Worcester, um, the Worcester Telegram and Gazette wrote an article about opportunity and the superintendent at the jail read about it and reached out to me to get a program started at the jail. So I guess that maybe is one trigger of sort of the connection that the jail superintendent had been trying to start a program, music program there for, for 10 years. And every time he um, partnered with somebody and it was about to come to fruition, that person backed out uh, prematurely or at the last minute, so the program never took root. So he saw the work that I was doing with the schools, said this person would be perfect for the program at the jail, reached out, and we started the program there. Um, a lot of the kids in the Opportunity Program, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to generalize because it doesn't do justice to the entire population, but there are a lot of children in the program who have family members who are incarcerated mm -hmm. or are directly um, impacted by the pipeline that I talk about. Hmm. Um, and then the people that we work with in the jail, the inmates, the students of the Opportunity Program of Songwriting, um, they're, they're men who uh, mostly, are, mostly are recovering addicts. Um, those are the men that we work with in the songwriting program. And they're men who got into the system early and the system makes it really hard for them to get out. So, you know, they've got felony charges and then they try to get out and start their lives again. And there aren't a lot of opportunities for them to get back on their feet. And then they end up following uh, in the same cycle. So they end up getting incarcerated multiple times over the course of their lives, even though when they get out, they really want to get back um, back in it. So there is there is a connection between the populations yeah. um, and also through the work of opportunity in its current state. Um, the prison program actually funds the K-12 program. So we used to have that sort of cyclic connection in that way as well. Hmm. And can you talk about how music education can help combat the school-to-prison pipeline? Yeah, I can. Um, we just completed a year partnership with Vanderbilt um, University Peabody. So I'm a graduate of the the EDD program at Vanderbilt. And this past year, we partnered with their doctoral program, um, two capstone students. We did a research project on the K-12 end of the program, specifically focusing on the benefits um, 
of the of the program for the children in the program. So they studied academic benefits. They studied a sense of belonging. They studied uh, self-efficacy. And um, admittedly, it was a it was a hard year to do a research project on a K twelve program because we were mostly online and we had lost our our numbers. But they found that there were extreme benefits or or direct benefits. Um, from opportunity and the students who participated and their sense of belonging, their sense of community um, engagement and um, sense of sort of self-efficacy. And all of those things, you know, you 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 take a child under your wing and you teach them um, that they have meaning, that their lives have meaning, that they have value, and it changes their pathway, it changes their outlook, um, and it changes the way that they engage with with their peers and mm-hmm. in our in our case the mentors in mm-hmm. the program, um, and then on the other side of that we you know we develop talent we develop interest we develop and we cultivate a sense of playfulness in the program, and then in the jail we work on songwriting, um, and a lot of that work is getting the guys to grapple with their demons um, yeah. why they're there how they ended up there and then also we bring guys together in the jail who don't necessarily know each other. They're not guys who would necessarily engage with one another on the streets. They're not even guys that are always in the same block inside of the jail. Uh, And we put them into a space and we call on them to be vulnerable and explore some of their um, own, own issues as they write collaboratively and produce songs together. Um, Mm -hmm. And it ends up being a big deal for them. It, It changes their outlook. And also, we've had so many guys in that program say, because of this class, we've we've chosen not to engage in things inside the jail that we normally would have because we don't want wow. to class. So um, we just had a concert on Friday in the jail, and it was kind of a watershed moment. We brought back one of the guys who started in the program who was released. So he went back into the jail for his first time, and he had done multiple stints in the jail, probably four or five I was talking with the superintendent before the concert and he was like, yeah, he was a, he was a punk like inside the jail and he'll, John Wayne will tell you um, that he was a punk, but he, he fell into the program his last time in the jail and it changed his life. Like he's, he's outside, he's doing um, songwriting circles with um, the center for rehab, um, drug rehab. He's doing tons of music and he came back and he shared his experience with the guys. And, and he said inside the jail, there was one instance where one of the guys punched him in the face over coffee. And he, if he wasn't involved in the opportunity program, he would have punched him back. And it was the one thing that kept engaging in the fight because he didn't want to lose that. And all of the guys that we've worked with have come back and said that. Usually they'll get released, they'll send me an email or find me on Facebook and send me a message and just say, this program changed my life. It changed my whole experience inside the program because it gave them something that they really, really felt motivated to hang on to to behave basically right right so then i assume that the, a lot of the songwriting uh project that the lyrics that they write are about their situation and kind of you you don't encourage them to write songs about like i don't know the summer like they're <laughs> writing about their situations and yeah no they yeah they explore everything and it's been done we, this is our third complete semester of it and it's been done differently. It's fun because I, I hired two guys to teach the class. Um, and it's fun to watch their evolution of teaching. So the first semester the class was taught, they taught it by theme. So one week they would hmm. focus on addiction. One week they would focus oh. on family. One week they would focus on love. Mm-hmm. And this go around was kind of cool. They brought the guys in the room and they just kind of wrote together. They would like 
they'd pick a theme as a class. The guys picked the theme. And then they would take turns writing the lyrics. Someone would, would say something and the other person would follow up on it. So it just kind of right. takes its own life that way. Um, and yeah, the lyrics, the songs, the, there's a whole spectrum. And some of them end up being really positive, uplifting, hopeful. And some of them end up being, you know, sort of strong talks of drugs and, and violence and family. And um, yeah, so no, we don't tell them what to write about. Yeah, I had a, I mean, I, I don't do this remotely at the level you do, but I did do a, a songwriting project with um, a boys and girls club uh, that's in, near the area where I teach. I know you've also done some work with boys and girls clubs mm -hmm. and it was a group of underprivileged students and I did have them write lyrics and I was struck by how different the topics are that they wanted to write songs about versus the students that I otherwise teach who don't come from underprivileged backgrounds. I mean, these young kids really wanted to write about some very heavy topics like addiction, like you mentioned, and it was different than the other students who I had been working, not through Boys and Girls Club, who wanted to write about like the summer or the mm -hmm. cake or, you know, <laughs> right. um, and it, right. it shows that. So does a lot of this overlap with music therapy? Um, it does in the sense that at Anna Maria, okay, so so one of the core components of the program, which we haven't really explored yet in this conversation, is that we use undergraduate students for mm -hmm. most of the teaching, with the exception of the jail. And the jail, our undergraduate students are interns, and they do all of the backup music, and they do songwriting collaboratively with the guys in mm -hmm. the program. But on the K-12 end, the college students design the curriculum for the classes. I have the themes. There's four general themes for the students in the Opportunity K-12 program, and they are creative expressions. Um, piano, uh, music technology slash songwriting, and also choir. So those are the four sort of generically themed classes. And I assign um, upper level undergraduate students, usually juniors or seniors, sometimes freshmen and sophomores when there's a need in piano lessons to have piano majors teach those, uh, those lessons. Um, but those are the four themes. And then I put in the seniors, the juniors to teach those themes and they design the curriculum and it, the curriculum tends to kind of be born out of the work that they're doing in their programs. Hmm. Anna Maria has music education and music therapy majors. Those are the two largest programs in the music. Okay. So because we're, we're training undergraduate music therapy students and music education students, that curriculum is woven into the work sort of mm -hmm. organically, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it becomes kind of that way. We don't say that we do music therapy work because there's a whole clinical side of music therapy where yeah. we don't right. um, do or adhere to. The student interns this year who have been in the jail and were also in last year, this semester, the two guys are both music therapy majors. Um, so they're kind of engaging with their curriculum in music therapy that way. And the creative expressions class on the K-12 side is entirely taught by music therapy students and they do a lot of the work in the program with hmm. some of the skills that they develop in the music right. therapy program. Okay. So I'm interested um, in these undergraduate students, what sort of training they have to go in order to uh, be qualified to work with opportunity that goes beyond just their general music curriculum at Anna Maria College, especially mm -hmm. the piano uh, students, since that is kind of the subject of this podcast. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what sort of resources you have these students look at prior to going into the schools and the gels? And are there any recommendations of resources you have um, that maybe some of our listeners could look into themselves? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. The, the, the prereq for the college students is that like I said, the juniors and seniors are the students that we employ as main mm -hmm. teachers, um, lead teachers. And then the, the, 
the result of having them be at that level is that they've done, they've completed two years of somewhat rigorous coursework in both of their fields. By the time they become juniors at Anna Maria, the music therapists have done two years of, of pre-practicum work, um, music therapy work, and the music ed students have done one year of pre-practicum work with the school. So they've done a lot of their core like intro to music therapy, music therapy one, they've done a lot of their core um, music ed stuff. So that's the biggest sort of fundamental training that they have. And then we talk, like we talk together about, you know, what it's like that, you know, what they're going into and there's a certain level of sensitivity that they have to have. Yeah. Um, but honestly, a lot of the learning is hands-on. They grapple with a lot of stuff as they're kind of doing the work and I'm there all the time, just sort of coaching them through it. And I think that's the biggest learning for them is that I'm, I'm in it. I'm like, I'm in it. Right. I'm not in it in terms of the curriculum. I, I really believe that they need to have the experience of developing that work and owning it. But I'm in it in terms of a coaching mechanism when working with that population. I see. So they don't have necessarily like um, a book or, or a few sort of like that go beyond kind of their regular Anna Maria no. College curriculum. So it's mostly, as you say, conversations and you coaching them on the job. Resource. And we have, um, we have, we work with two liaisons from Worcester Public Schools and they were also a resource. Um, so I'm in constant, when it's, when it's a normal year, it's a COVID year is really different, right? Yeah. So we have to kind of set that aside. Um, but in a normal year, I work very closely with the two liaisons from Worcester Public Schools. I work closely with the principal and we're constantly talking back and forth. Yeah. Um, about the kids and then I'm I'm serving as that sort of point person for right. would you say that there's any specific topic that you feel comes up all the time or that you're always returning to in a lot of these conversations with these students when they first get started and they might know a lot about music therapy or music in of itself but not specifically as much about how to tie it to working with the prison or school populations yeah so for, honestly for the, for the kids side the biggest thing that comes up is is how to manage behavior, um, and how to manage behavior in our in our program in our setting in a way that doesn't perpetuate maybe some of the damage that can happen in other settings when managing behavior. So you know, trying to sort of redirect um, or continue to engage the student, but not reprimand the student and not use sort of punishment or even negative language. Uh -huh in the program because it, it it's so important in our program that when the kids come to us and learn that they really feel like they're in a safe space. So even if they have a day where they're where they're misbehaving, that they don't feel like they're treated as if they're negative. Yeah. What do you encourage as an alternative to punishments? Um, so it's some of its mindset. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, the first the first semester we had the program, we were preparing for um, a Christmas concert, a holiday concert in December. It was the first recital for the kids. And um, there was a girl and a boy that came in and they just had crap. It was like carryover from from school, from home life. They just had tension and they were sort of, they had beef. Um, <clears throat> and they were, like, I forget the exact situation, but the male student was just, he was just being a gnat. He was really bugging the female student. Mm -hmm. um, in a, in a, in a, in a way that was not like a typical kid way. It was like, and she turned around and she told him to F off and she flipped him the bird in the middle of the break. So in our college, our college student, her first response was like, that is not okay. And then she wanted to like 
get involved with her. And I pulled her aside and I was like, Abby, like, um, you have to let that go. <laughs> like, that is just, like, he, like, for starters, he deserved it. Like, he had it coming. Um, and, like, you know, he was, he was, he was being a bug to her and he was really disrespecting her boundaries and her space. And she, she asserted herself in a way that she needed to that would be carryover from our environment to theirs. And so that was a lesson for this particular college student that um, some of that stuff, it's hard to see in her kind of cultural context. Right. But in the reality that plays out in their lives, that was a perfectly acceptable way of um, defending yourself. And then, you know, the conversation came later that when we're in a college setting, we don't flip our peers off and, like, cuss them out. But that's, you know, that's a learned experience. Um, and so I guess alternatively, we were taught in the, in the Vanderbilt study, they had mentioned that they were watching a songwriting class online and... Um, one of our music therapy students was conducting the class and we had this kid um, say, oh, I'm tired, I'm going to go to bed. And he like crawled into bed in the middle of the class and she said, well, you know, it's going to be really hard to participate in songwriting if you're in your bed. But then she just kind of kept going, like just disregarded the behavior, like like tried to get him involved, but was basically like, you know, this is going to be hard, but if you insist on being in bed, then we'll just work with it. And he gave up. He's like, fine, I'll come back and sing. Like he stopped being in bed. It was like a moment of just trying to get the attention and she just sort of like, she just wove through it organically, but didn't reprimand him. And he just came back to class and that was the end of it. So I guess in both of those situations, it's a matter of, as teachers, uh, something that we would want to instinctually make a big deal out of, but in most ways, making a big deal would be counterproductive and it would be better if we just let it go. Yeah, I think, yeah. Too, you know, I think, um, you know, a lot of these kids are used to being the bad kids in school. Right. They're used to being called out, they're used to being punished, yelled at, um, treated in a way that I think it reinforces a, a negative sort of self-perception. And that's one of the things in our program that I'm really sensitive about and I don't want to perpetuate is bringing kids to the program um, and and not, not continuing to reinforce that perception and that kind of way of being. Absolutely. That, you know, that's fundamental to the work that we do in the program is is seeing seeing the people that we work with, both the adults in the jail and the kids in the program, as a deeper level uh, human, and not not attending to all of the surface level manifestations of what might come out of their their living situations, their life experiences. Yeah, it sort of goes, it sort of relates to, um, I was doing another episode on this podcast about teaching students with special needs, and the phrase that I was introduced to that's very big in the special education was presume competence, and mm -hmm. I think that's similar in this situation. Um, mm -hmm. um, so before we kind of zoom out of opportunity and talk more broadly about community outreach in general, can you tell us what the state of opportunity is today and what some of the plans are for the future and how our listeners can learn more about it? Yeah, um, we have a website. It's opportunitymusic.org. Um, most of the, I guess, most of the information that people could get is from the media and the blog pages. Um, we also have a Facebook, and, and I try to keep active on that. Um, so the current state of opportunity, we have multiple partnerships. So my full-time job is Dean of Music at Anna Maria. Um, I have two sort of part-time jobs. One is I run a piano studio from home that is a mix of children with disabilities and um, children without disabilities. And the other 
part-time work I do is Opportunity. So Opportunity currently has multiple partnerships with Anna Maria College, um, which is our source for all the education, um, kind of a hub. We partner with Worcester Public Schools. We partner with we partner with the Worcester County House of Corrections, um, and then we have other partnerships that we've woven through along the way. Worcester Housing Authority, um, Burncoat Unites, um, and then Jump uh, Joy of Music Program. The first semester that we ran the program, um, and those are those are growing. Those shifted a little bit because of COVID. Hopefully, when we go back into the next year, we've we come back stronger. Um, we bring the kids to the campus one day a week. We go into their communities um, the additional days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, um, so that we're, we've got a shared experience with them. And then we're in the jail on Fridays. Um, my goal for the program, my goal for the summer is to develop plans for really moving it into a nonprofit, its own organization, um, building a board, um, getting a status and then starting to build pockets of opportunity networks at other um, schools and colleges um, and, and jails across the country. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so uh, you mentioned that uh, working at Opportunity is kind of part-time and you do it alongside running your own independent piano studio and, and being the dean of uh, music at Anna Maria College. So that idea of doing it as one thing among many is something that I believe probably a lot of our listeners would be interested in doing themselves. So for some of our listeners who, you know, perhaps already kind of have a teaching situation, whether it's at the school or their home studio that they don't want to give up and, and they kind of have an inertia going with that, but they are interested in, in some way, kind of expanding their teaching offerings in a more equitable direction, like without quitting their current job. Yeah. What sort of advice would you give to some teachers as ways to kind of trespass into maybe some of the types of things you're doing without completely you know, dropping everything that they're already doing? Yeah, um, that's a good question. It's also a really hard question um, to respond to. I think one of the things that makes Opportunity unique is that it is grounded in colleges and universities. So it's using that as a resource. I think some, some sort of generic broad themes that um, come out to me as sort of, sort of surface in my own mind as as guidance or things that I learned, um, I think as as the opportunity program takes root and grows, um, I continue to be amazed by how life just sort of plops into my life, how the universe just plops into my life, um, opportunities or people or um, organizations that just kind of appear as an obvious next step. So for me, it's a matter of paying really careful attention to how things present themselves yeah. and then getting creative using my imagination um, as a wraparound to, okay, how can, how can I partner with this person or this organization or this group or these families in a way that sort of comes back and um, weaves into the overall vision for what I have for this particular program. So I think that's one thing that I think people can do is just sort of pay attention to what... Hmm. Is evolving around them and take that as cue so sort of hold at the center for me i hold at the center um the the vision that i have for opportunity and then as things sort of weave in and out of my life or my awareness i think about how those can kind of weave into the actual organization and then i get creative and i'm flexible around what can be developed i think the other thing is um really careful listening and and a sense of responsibility um to go into communities 
um, like the communities that we work with for opportunity to go into the jail, um, for, for me and for the people that work with me in this organization, it's so important that we go in with a sense of humility and also a willingness to, to listen and really attend to what the true needs are of the population and not what, what we might think. So, you know, I think at the surface opportunity is a music education program, but it's really more than that because we focus so much on the building of relationships and through the building of relationships with our constituents, the children that we work with, the inmates, the, the superintendent, the leadership, the teachers, the college students, um, and sort of building up those relationships, we, we craft a reciprocal learning experience. I mean, that's the main goal is that our college students are engaging with, with the children in the program or the inmates, but in that exchange, they're learning just as much from those children as those children are learning from them. So, so that's why the curriculum stays, um, somewhat neutral, stays somewhat like, the, student, the college students remain in charge of the of the curriculum and it grows and expands based on the experience they have with those kids because the, the primary goal of the program is to build relationship and build sort of a positive pipeline so that should these children decide at some point in the future that they want to go to college, they can see it as attainable to them. They can see talent as attainable to them. They can see achievement as attainable to them. So in the case of opportunity, the music education almost comes second. Hmm. Um, it's the it's the other stuff, the human stuff, um, the life changing stuff that comes first, and it's the same thing in the jail. We are focused on on giving them skills um, to be songwriters and to experience and enjoy and love music, but we give them a chance to get out and do college. I mean, some of the guys that graduated are looking seriously at doing music therapy, at Anna Maria, doing music, at Anna Maria. And so all of that comes as a primary. So I think anyone who wants to be more social, like civic minded or, or social justice oriented, I think the, the first thing is to, to check, the, check the ego, check the curriculum at the door and really focus on like, like the humanitarian aspect, um, the building of relationships and really listening to what the needs are. And the other thing is also the building of integrity. So um, from the very beginning, or Opportunity was founded in 2013 in Tennessee, and we started with a partnership with the Boys and Girls Club. And it was really critical to me from the very beginning that the kids didn't perceive it as free free lessons, that they weren't just getting handed something from the program. And it, and that continues to be a really critical aspect. So when we bring the when we bring the children to campus, we talk to them from the very beginning about how their engagement with the program is helping the college students as much as we're helping them. And it's the same conversation we have with the parents so that there's a sense of integrity and a sense of sort of give back. There's reciprocity in that. And that um, it's the same on the jail side. The first conversation I have with the inmates in any new songwriting class is, um, okay, by participating in this program, you're getting really great experience to songwrite. But also the money that we're collecting from this program is going to subsidize the, the busing for the kids in the community right down the street. And so they have a sense of sort of ownership of it's not that they're just showing up and getting this class, but by participating in the class, they're also making a difference for children like them 12, 15 years earlier in their life before their lives went off the rails. And so there's that understanding and it means a lot to those guys when they hear that. Um, so I think, you know, 
that kind of stuff is really important. Not going into communities and pushing an agenda, not going in and thinking, okay, I'm going to make a difference. So and this mm-hmm. is how I'm going to make it. It doesn't work that way. Right. Um, you have to, you have to go in and you have to pay attention. You have to see what the needs are and do your research, like research how communities got this way, research how, how the jail population got this way. Do, do history, like understand why, why things are like this way. And then, do a little bit. It doesn't have to be a lot. Um, but I don't think going in and, and thinking about it as a volunteer opportunity or, or a chance to make a difference is the right way to do it. I think the way to do it is to think about, you know, what what is reality? What is reality in this country? What is reality in our communities? Um, and, and pay attention to people that are actually being impacted by the work you want to do and and craft the experience around what what is real for them. Yeah. A lot of what you're saying, I think, very nicely kind of overlaps with a episode that I recently released. It was an interview with Leah Claiborne, who's a scholar about it was about pedagogical music by black composers. But the interview was about uh, diversifying piano studios. And she was talking about some advice and she was suggesting, I think a lot of what you're saying about kind of this idea of humility and don't come in with like a white savior, kind of I'm going to fix you kind of um, ethos. And she was saying in a lot of what she advises people to do to kind of build a relationship first before you start offering anything. So Mm -hmm. for instance, if you want to give scholarships to underserved students, maybe like go to a black church first and offer maybe just like get to know them at maybe a company and and build a relationship first before you start saying, hey, I offer scholarships for piano lessons. And I think that goes to a little bit of what you're saying about building a relationship and being humble and not seeing yourself as kind of the savior Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways. Uh, So final question uh, before we go, Uh, as we kind of just look at the state of music education kind of on the whole, obviously, as you've alluded to at several points in this interview, we still see many disparities across a wide range of levels. At the same time, there are also many music schools that do offer community outreach uh, programs, and there are a few that are very fleshed out, like Orc Kids, and there's the Save the Music Foundation. So how do you assess the field of music education community outreach today? Is there anything you'd like to see more of in the future, or how do you feel about how things are going right now? Um, I don't... You sent me this question and my first thought was, I don't know that I'm enough of an expert to really assess the state of things. But I will say, I think my my ideal would be for us to get to a point where we don't need music outreach for an even playing field. We don't need programs that are focused on quote unquote music outreach for, for everyone to have had the opportunity to experience the arts. And I think that's sort of the utopia. That's like the ideal, whether or not we get to that point in my lifetime, I I really don't know. But, um, and I say that as somebody who has built sort of my biggest career passion around outreach. But I think, you know, for opportunity, one of the really amazing byproducts of the program is that we graduate undergraduate students who go out into the field and have a, a much more sensitive awareness of, what the real world is like. They're not students who are given just practicum or student teaching placements in in suburban schools. Um, they're students who really understand better that there are kids out there who live in different circumstances than they 
lived in and they're not a threat. They're, they're still kids fundamentally. Um, and then they go out into the world and they have now a different lens and a different way of viewing the world. And the other, the other really nice byproduct of opportunity is that we're coaching and developing and supporting a new generation of children um, who could potentially come to college and completely diversify the experience. You do that for 20, 30 years and you've, you see, hopefully I will see hundreds of young people, if not more, thousands who were impacted by their experience with the program. And then mindset shifts, um, communities start to shift even just a little bit. And I think that's the ideal for me. I don't know what outreach is like elsewhere in the country. It's just not, I'm not an expert, but for me, that's the ideal is that, is that we get to a point where we all just sort of exist in a way that's, that's equitable and accessible for everybody. Sounds like a great goal. And I <laughs> appreciate everything you do. It sounds like you've had a fantastic impact on a lot of people, not just, not even just the inmates and the students in these underserved school districts, but also on the undergraduate students at Anna Maria College who are now uh, capable of wa- offering a much wider range of teaching resources. And I hope our listeners push in that direction as well. So really appreciate everything you do. And thank you for coming on the podcast. All right, great. Thanks for having me. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time. If you have any feedback about the episode you just heard or about the podcast in general, feel free to reach out to me through the contact page at www.bencapolo.com.